Hey everybody, I'm Eric Bra, and welcome to The Brawcast, a podcast about me and my endeavors in the VO industry and entertainment in general. I have to entertain you foremost, but maybe I can help you too. As always, if you would like to show your support for this and any projects from 3 Pound Magician, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. Individual donations can be made via a button at my homepage, ericbra.com, or the Ko-Fi button at 3poundmagician.com. On this episode, direction, or relationships, or musicality. (laughs) Thanks to this episode's guest, we talk about all of it. So, a, a great voiceover discussion with Randall Ryan from Hamster Ball Studios in this episode of The Broadcast. I'm good. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to live a nice, happy life and that I will not be destitute in a gutter at the age of 80. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm fine. There's the quote we're using. Hey, what's happening? Hope you are well. I'm back with another episode, and that means a chance to entertain and possibly inform. Well, there's very little in the inbox, so honestly, let's just get straight to it. Direction. What am I talking about? It's the guidance and supervision of an act or action. I'll have to call my supervisor. Well, luckily for me, he's on the other side of the glass. So what does a director do? What do they look for? These are questions. Questions better answered by this episode's guest, Randall Ryan. Randy, it is a pleasure. Randall, Mr. Ryan. Mr. Bra. I'm really glad to get a chance to get some wisdom from the hamster ball style here. Ooh. Careful what you wish for. That that may be true. You know, I mean, obviously we've done uh, maybe one or a couple of commercial projects, maybe. At least one. Uh... But our main connection is through video games and VO for that specifically. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, and some of that is because that's what we end up doing. If we did commercial projects, it's because something like that came across my desk mystically. (laughs) When I started doing this, it was all commercial work. And it gravitated to video games through a weird set of mystic cosmic things. There's still some residual left from the commercial world. But for the most part, that's not what I do anymore. Right. And I don't really even pursue it anymore for a variety of reasons. And a lot of that is simply because video games have become our niche. And, you know, Harrison Ford didn't reinvent his his acting style because he didn't have to. So he did regarding Henry. And then after that, he just played Harrison Ford. So. Ooh, sick burn. No, it's not. I actually don't mean it that way. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. He's great at that. No, he really is. I honestly, he's one of he's he's one of those actors where you go, I don't really care. <laughs> it just works. <laughs> At some point, you can just see he just kind of went. So, kid, you know, I can just do this, and they're going to pay me a ton of money. So, why would I ever do anything other than this? And he then he didn't. And of course, the first thing you always go back to is Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Well, first thing I go back to because it's where that's how I got to know him. Yeah, American Graffiti. Yeah, but you know, I didn't even know he was in American Graffiti until after Star Wars, and then it's like, oh, all right, yeah, he—that's Harrison Ford, isn't it? Once he was Harrison Ford, and everybody knew who Harrison Ford was, they went back and looked at stuff and went, oh yeah, there he is, right? Because he's just a bit player in that. You know, he's got one scene. I mean, that is the life of an actor. I mean, they—they—they you—you see them in little bit roles, and then later on you see him in something, and you're like, oh. They make an impression. I remember this character, that actor. And then all of a sudden you're watching something, you know, rerun and you go, son of a bitch. 
Like, I mean, basically, what's the joke that everybody in New York has done Law and Order? I don't think that's a joke. I think that's <laughs> I, I think that's that's just real. I think it's just real. Yeah. So one of the shows that I have watched of late has been The Expanse. It's just kind of up my alley to begin with. And so there are a couple of things that happened in there. There was a character early on in the first couple of seasons. I'm listening to this guy and I'm watching him and he's playing this this rich guy that's, I don't know if you've seen The Expanse or not, and it really doesn't matter. He's playing this rich guy that controls a lot of stuff, and he's very subversive and whatever. And I keep listening to I keep well, I keep watching him. It's like, I know this guy. I know this guy, I, but I cannot place him at all. And all of a sudden, it hits me. He's one of the voices in XCOM. He's the scientist in XCOM. Oh. And so I go back and start, you, you go to IMDb, and it's like, sure enough, it's like, Damn it, that's him. I knew it. You know, and so I didn't know him as an actor, as a, as a, as a on camera actor. I knew him as, you know, a voice a voice actor. Right. And I just recognized his voice. And so I and I placed him watching the show. It's like, I know who he is. And you go and look it up, and sure enough, that's who it is. The other one, also from the expanse, is there's a guy that plays a character by the name of Ashford. And so I watched Nomad Land a couple of days ago. Disturbingly good movie. And same thing. It's like he comes on, it's like, I know that guy. Only it was much faster because he, he doesn't look that much different than he does in The Expanse. Right. And it's like, that's Ashford from The Expanse. And so then, you know, you start watching him in a different way and with more, a little more intensity and scrutiny. It's like, okay, let's see if you're still that good. It's like, no, actually, you're you're a good actor. You're not just doing, and you're not, and he's doing a totally different character with a totally different accent and a totally different outlook. As somebody who directs voice actors, I'm I'm looking at that going, wow, yeah, yeah, kudos to you, dude. You've completely changed your voice for this. Right. Changed everything. I talked to Roger uh, uh, a little while back, and and he was talking about how you don't know the character until you got their voice. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, You know, as – and obviously I come at things from the point of view of, you know, the other side of the glass as opposed to the the actor. Mm -hmm. But I think that's true. I think that – so I can even just look at the things that you – land or any other actor and most of the time when you get cast in it it's because you weren't acting it from my perspective right you found your voice in that character and then you just became it you just i i liken to say you took the cloak of the character and you put it on and you buttoned it up in the right way you turned the lapels the direction you wanted to go you rolled the sleeves the way you want to go it's like look this is my character right and you don't think about it you just do it um, that's hard. That it's great when you hear it. I don't know how to teach that. I try, you know, in workshops and things of that nature. But actors get that, or they don't, and they get it with specific characters, or they don't. Yeah, but I mean, you direct it, though. I, I will say that. Yeah, you do. I think there's this real mistake that a lot of people have about directing. I call it the Cecil B. DeMille's effect. Whether this is actually what Cecil B. DeMille's did or not, I don't know. But this is. The fiction that's kind of surrounded somebody like that, and there are other famous directors that you can always say that with, where the story around them is that they're controlling everything and it's their vision. You know, Orson Welles maybe to some degree, but ultimately you have to trust the actors. The actors have to adopt that character. They have to put that that character coat on and do with it what they will. Right. Because if they're always listening to the director – and they're always looking to cues for the director. They're never going to own it. And the director has to believe in that actor, in all the actors, enough to say, well, sometimes that wasn't exactly what I heard or that wasn't exactly where my brain was going to go. 
But you know what? This is a good choice. And at the very least, let them run with it for a bit. See what you think after you allow that to hit your head a little bit more. And one of the worst things that I see with other directors who are not very good is that they they feel they need to be putting their two cents worth in all the time. If that actor is doing really well, get the fuck out of their way and let them do what they do. If I've got an idea or the writer has an idea or somebody else to say, hey, that's really good, let's do that. But let them finish what they're doing first. Then toss the other idea out, see what you think about it. If it works or if it's better, then you keep that and then you go on. But, you know, and the other thing that I see people do is actors will come to the table with ideas and they get shut down on them. Right. And never do that. Even if it's like, even if they're slightly insane with what that is, you know, you still kind of almost need to go like, well, that's, that's an interesting choice, insane person. Let's, (laughs) let's consider that. And you want them to be creative. You want them to, you, you know, look, there, there are actors that you and I both know that take that to a different degree, you know, that you can't, you know, the, you can't let them run with things because you will never get anything done. Yeah, I mean, it could be dangerous. Yeah, you shouldn't squash the actor. I think they need a chance to, to live as that character and, and, and be in that skin for a little while. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I would ask you as, a, as an actor, what's your ideal situation with a director, if, if you can even put that into words? Uh, I don't know that I can other than to say something like or an an ideal situation maybe is better than the uh symbiotic <laughs> like uh, there the, there's that give and take and there and there's a there's an effort together to create this thing that works and uh i think that's what's important is is the give and take and the the sharing and uh risk taking i guess a little bit I mean, of course, I like it, you know, I mean, every actor likes to be told that, yeah, yeah, you're doing well, you know, things are moving forward, this is good, mm-hmm. but I also want to know when you're not getting what you want. So, again, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's the two of us are doing this together. I had a fantastic situation where I had a peer, uh, a good friend of mine who was doing all the directing for this game, and he'd say, oh, try this, and, and I don't mind line reads and stuff, so he would just sort of deliver it, and i go... Oh wow, yeah, I didn't even see that until oh brilliant, you know, and and so sometimes it's another actor can, you know what I mean, or or a director that understands the acting, you know, and understands what the character's supposed to be and who they are, that's when you get gold, I think. Yeah, and and I think that ultimately that is when the relationship works the best is when everybody understands that this is a team this is a team effort. I have a role to play. The writer or the producer has a role to play. The actor has a role to play. For some reason, what seems to get lost in there, and this doesn't happen in too many sessions I do, and it, and good God, I sure hope it never comes from me, but I have seen it sometimes come from the client. Right. And that's not actually understanding that the actor is not only a human being, but that the actor is not a mouthpiece. I hate seeing castings where P 
people want something really specific and that specificity is actually like, oh my God, this is, this is a stereotype. Because what's going to happen if, if you have to go there is that everybody's going to do the same voice because the specs are so tight on it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, re- the reasons I, I hate seeing me personally. I mean, for other people, they may not. They, they may not. This may not be a, a pet peeve of theirs. Right. Look, I get the reason for actor references, for voice references, you know. But there's a difference between somebody like this and then you give a reason as to why and be Morgan Freeman. I know it's become a meme, but it's like, you do that, and and now what? Now we're getting down to the sound of the voice. Now you're getting a whole bunch of reads like this. Exactly, and even if somebody doesn't try to mimic Morgan Freeman, they're doing this specific pace. You, You stifle the creativity right away, and so now it comes down to... You're, you're hiring somebody whose voice pleases you because there's nothing else to distinguish somebody from one or the other. And even though it is voice acting, it is more acting at this stage of the game than it is voice. And you've stifled the acting part. So now you're just back to voice. You know, why not go back to the radio days where it's where you have the voice of God, you've got the guy next door, the girl next door, and the sexy female, and none and nothing shall veer from those four. <laughs> How do we get on this ranty type thing? I'm going to tell you what's wrong with directors. You know, it's like, no, that's not usually where I live. What are your thoughts on basically just the business in general then, the state of it? I I mean, uh, what are we looking at? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. Uh, Do you have anything? I know, it's pretty broad. I guess I shouldn't have made it so broad. Yeah, do you have anything that... Will AI ever overtake and replace us all? Uh, Hard to say. In the next 10 to 20 years, absolutely not. How do you know where technology is going to go? AI is not there yet. Yeah, I, I think if you're doing explainer videos and that's where you're making your living. Yeah, I think they already do them that way pretty much. Yeah, your job's in peril. If you are actually doing organic human phraseology, no. Because machines are still, even things that are really, really good, follow the information that you put in and spit that information out. The organicness and the imperfection of humankind is what gives it personality. Right. An ellipsis. An ellipsis is taken by a computer in an entirely different way than me. Absolutely. It's, you know, we should stop for 1.2 seconds, and they'll do that every time. Exactly. Can you program it to be random? Sure. You know, but then why is it random? <laughs> because when you when you do it and you do it purposefully, it's not random at all. You don't know how long that's going to be, but you know you want to wait before you say the next thing. Right. For punctuation, for whatever, you just do, and uh, I, I think it's a. I think we're a long way away from that being the case. I'll never say never, um, <laughs> but I sure am not afraid that in my lifetime that's going to be the norm. So, if I have anybody young listening to this, what what are things that you're looking for when you when you see a, a new talent come onto the scene? What what are things that you would expect them to know how to do, or what would you, you know what I mean? Expect from them. Well, kid, the first thing I have to say to you is don't suck. (laughs) That's good advice. I'm sure you've heard this too, but the first thing I say to anybody who is talking about I want to be – I want to do voiceover, usually I will say, have you taken acting lessons? And I'll bet 70% conservatively say no, and that percentage might be higher. 
my thought then is, well, first go do that. Then, after you've had your ass kicked at acting school or by an acting coach or by whomever, then maybe we can talk about stage two. Because it's kind of like people who say they want to be biologists or I want to I want to work with the whales. It's like take organic chemistry and if you pass that, then we'll talk. Because until then, <laughs> you're going to become a journalist after you take organic chemistry. That is the big weeding out. People don't pass it. And they don't pass it for a reason. Uh, for the same thing we're talking about with AI, because inorganic chemistry, anybody who can do math can pass inorganic chemistry. Organic chemistry, we're like, and eh, the rules throw out, and uh, this person isn't like that person. And in fact, this part of the world isn't like that part of the world. There's going to be a test on that. Go. Like, people, fuck that. I'm out of here. Because <laughs> it's hard. And acting's hard. Acting is not easy. It is not the sound of your voice. Can you act? Can you act well? Can you act credibly? Can you act in a way to do commercials versus a way to do video games versus a way to do narrative storytelling? You know, I mean, do you even know what you want to do with voiceover? Until you can sit down and say, I am an actor, and you can kind of hold your own on stage. I want to be a songwriter. That's great, kid. Have you been on stage singing or playing an instrument? No. Do that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Not saying that you have to be a working musician to be a songwriter, and there are, there are people who have managed to make careers. Look, Don Lonfontaine made a career out of doing voiceover without ever having you know taken acting classes. Okay. Yeah. It, well, he was an ad guy. Yeah. There are exceptions to everything. He was literally helping to write the copy and then having other people do it. And when the guy didn't show up, they went, Don, step in there. In a world. Right. You know, there are the exceptions, but they are exceptions for a reason. Right. Go do this other thing first. And then, you know, that, so that's the first thing I would tell anybody that is, that is young. Um, and then the second thing, which is almost as important, and maybe I would even say, if I really thought about it, is as important how are you at networking, marketing, sales in general? Do you, and, and sales, not like, I'm not saying don't go read sales books. You should. How are you at being able to present yourself, make people like you, make people want to help you, to work with you? Right. Do you know how to ping people in the right way? Because you can't just call and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Uh, do you have any work? Right. You can, you know, and some people actually make careers out of doing that because they have such thick skin that they do it so much that sometimes people give them the work just to shut them up. Right. That's true. They still have to have the talent to do it. But for most people, it's, it's a much more complicated process than that. And I think that there's also this belief that people can outsource the business. If I just hire an agent, if I just hire a bookkeeper, you fill in the blank with everything. And the answer is you can't. Those people help you. Those people can't do the work for you. Yeah, it's the reoccurring theme. Relationships, rapport. I mean, it, it's all... I, I use Jimmy Buffett a lot. And to, to be in full disclosure, it's not my original thought. There's a, a really good friend of mine who's been in healthcare advertising for a long time who's just a really creative guy. And he said this to me at one time, but I've really thought about it, and it just rings really true. Jimmy Buffett is kind of the poster child for an entrepreneur. Oh, Steve, how is that the case? Well, how many hits has he had? He's had Margaritaville. You could maybe say Fins. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed for most people to name, you know, who aren't diehard Jimmy Buffett fans to name another tune, much less give him three or four. <laughs> He's a good singer. He's not a great singer. 
He's a good songwriter. Kind of tough to put him in the pantheon of great songwriters. He's attractive enough, but you certainly would never say people like, oh, Jimmy Buffett. You know, there is, there is nothing special about Jimmy Buffett other than the fact that he meets all the minimum criteria for everything, and yet he is one of the richest entertainers in the world. Right. Because he does everything else right. He's a nice guy. He always has time for his fans. He puts out albums religiously. You know what? They're not going to sell a million copies anymore. They're going to sell 135,000 or whatever the number is, but every single one of them is going to sell because every one of his fans will buy everything he has. He makes sure that they know that he's part of it. It, He's genuine. He's the brand, right. He's absolutely the brand. Kind of like Springsteen. He's legendary for long concerts where he gets people involved and he continues to to work with the crowd and have his rapport with them. Mr. Ryan, I'm noticing a theme here. Musicians. You were a musician (laughs) at one point. I I believe you still are, of course, but... I still are. It's funny, too, because everybody, you know, I've, I've... there's a lot of people in the VO industry, and every one of them has like done music at some point, whether it was singing or they play or they, you know, there was something that they did. And I think it's just what the musicality, it kind of helps you portray a character and a. What do you think? I realized how much music came with me. There's um, a really good actor that you and I both know that is one of those people that you just literally flick a switch on and then you just get out of their way because they just just do a great job. You know, once they get the character set, it's like just stay the hell out of their way because they're just they're going to 100 lines later you should probably tell them that you're still there because you have you've, you've not needed to step in to say or adjust anything. <laughs> there was just this long soliloquy type line that she was just having a really difficult time with. And she also has a stage and theater background. Uh, musical theater, which I didn't know at the time interestingly enough. And I said, oh, hey, hey, okay, hang on. Here's, here's what's going on here. I said, think of it this way. It's like this little pause. She's like, okay, I got it. And she just ripped through the line and just did it. And I am really sure that I had done that multiple times before with other people, but I never noticed that I had done that. And all of a sudden, I just went like, huh, I just sang that to her. I didn't line read it. I didn't even give her English words. I just sang her a tempo, a melody. Right, onomatopoeia. Yeah, right. And uh, she's got a rhythm. She's got a melody. She's got you know inflection. She's got tempo. She's got all that kind of stuff that she can, like a jazz soloist, now take and say, oh, yeah, like that. Okay, let me do that. But she did. Mm-hmm. And I really started paying very close attention to myself and to others around me for that reason at that point. And I did realize late to the party, because as you said, now when you mentioned that to everybody else, they're like, duh, Randy, yeah, that's always been true. <laughs> I hear it musically, I, I speak it musically, and the people that really have a musical background relate to that. We have a better connection Mm-hmm. Because there's already a shortcut. Right. You know, you are a singer. I do something like that with you, and you don't give me this blank stare through Skype or whatever, like, uh, okay. okay. No, you get it. You understand what it is. No, I got you. It, it, there is a, there's definitely a musicality to delivering lines in a way that make them, you know, character-driven. Yeah. 
We just did a thing, what, a couple week, couple three weeks ago, and you had sent me an audition for something, and I knew you were just really close, but you weren't there. And I think I called you up, and, and I literally did almost that same thing on the phone, like, like, like you're just more like this. Right. And you're like, oh, got it. And I got the auditions from you. It's like, yeah, that's going to book. And I sent them off to the client. And sure enough, it did. <laughs> yes. But it was because I could do that. And because you were like, I didn't have to sit there and explain. So see, what happens is these are real people. And they, you know, it's just, I just gave you this, this tempo and this really like flat melody. And you're like, oh, okay, like this. And you like read a line like, yeah, just do the whole thing like that. If you get it, you get, you know what I mean? Like, and I assume that, that you will learn more of that, I, I guess, just in acting in general. But I mean, I don't know. There's something about having a natural sort of inane ability for that stuff. Yeah, I mean, acting obviously teaches you. There's a reason I'm not an actor, for instance. Could I be if I really, if, if it were a passion of mine at this point, would I do it? Sure, of course. I've thought about going and taking some acting courses and I have actually gone through and paid other directors to just, you know, give me a personal little workshop for a couple of hours or something simply to, to be able to pick their brains. And I think that, that doing it as an actor would, you know, is something that I will probably do at some point, but it's not because I'm going to be an actor. Right. But does that help you with directing? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. I think it will. And I think just even if the only thing I come away with is like, oh, I understand the terror that someone feels when they do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I may not feel that terror because having been a performer most of my life, maybe I won't. Maybe it'll be, maybe it will absolutely petrify me. I, I have no idea. But I do think that regardless, that understanding is helpful. Yeah. I understand, I think, a lot of actors' self doubts and the issues that they get into, not because I've been an actor, but because I've been a performer. And because you know, when you get into certain moments, uh, you know, I know what it's like when when f things are flowing and you don't even think about what you're doing and everything is just working. And I also know what it's like when you can't buy your way into the the right note or the right spot and how it feeds on itself. And if you don't get yourself out of that cycle of self doubt, how that gig can just disintegrate in a hurry. So I do understand it from that perspective. Right. And I can tell when actors are in that spot. And that's when I work. That's when my job is to get them out of there. And that's tough. You know, it's it's just it is. It's like having that person that's on stage and you can't stop because you're in song three of a ten song set. <laughs> yes. And they are foundering. You gotta get them where it needs to be. And what you can't do is go over there and, you know, Johnny Play the fucking guitar! <laughs> Even if that's what you think, you can't do it. <laughs> that is true. That is very, very true. <laughs> you do think it, but you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> true story. Uh, early, early in my touring days, and we're in the middle of this song, and... I, it's one of those things that you hope never, ever happens to you, right? And I'm on stage, and I'm hearing, and the bass player's right next to me, so I'm hearing him more than I'm hearing anybody else. And my perspective, it's like, he's not even in the right key. It's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. So I reach over to him, and I go, Dane, Dane. And he comes over, and he looks at me, because he, he's looking like something's wrong, too. And I start to say this to him, and then I realize, as I'm saying it, as I'm so cocksure it's him, that, 
all of a sudden this self-doubt keeps it like, maybe it's me. And I go, Dane, wait, it's like A minor, B minor, C. And he looks at me with this strolling straight face, goes, no, F, 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 <laughs> which is actually where, <laughs> which is, <laughs> Where we're supposed to be. No, you're a musician. You, I mean, you know, think about that. He's playing F. I'm playing that other progression. It's like, oh, yeah, that would be kind of train wrecky, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be, would be a lot. But it's just it's totally stone cold, like, no, F, F, F. You know, this Kentucky <laughs> accent that he had, like, oh, God, yeah. I. How did, why, all right. <laughs> why am I even over here playing? Like, that's just great. Right, oh. right. <laughs> oh hey i saw that uh uh there was a post about uh a product coming out yes sure. care to plug anything uh well i don't know if, uh, if it sure uh chivalry 2 is coming out actually they've been telling us to promote that for a while but there was a the whole tweet that came out uh earlier today that i sent and you are in there yes for uh chivalry 2 um i believe I can't remember the character you played. There were so many of them. Uh, you, wh- <laughs> you, uh, you. So that's got to be tough casting something like that. I mean, there's so many characters. Well, but you know, the nice thing about Chivalry is that it was all done one at a time. Hmm. It's the, it's one of the few games I've ever had that. So we would have a character, and it'd be like we're going to cast for this one, and so you do it, and maybe a month later you do the next one, and so this went on for like two years. And the reason is is because there are so many. It's what like when you have emotes and everything else. There's a you remember this. There's a page of emotes. There are like forty six or forty eight emotes. And of course, you're doing multiple versions of all that. All told, there are close to one thousand finished delivered files per character. Wow. So with something like that, you don't necessarily cast them all at once. You do a character. It's a it's a full day session. I mean, it's probably what three hours, four hours. I think most of them are about three hours. But then you know you've got a week or ten days of combing through all this, even taking really good take notes, picking things out, determining well that didn't really work as well, implementing it, seeing what what's working, what's not. You know, it it takes time. Yeah. Fortunately enough, they started it early enough, and they had um, you know I presume enough funding or whatever that they could you know, take this kind of time to do it. Yeah, that's 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 pretty incredible. Yeah, I, I love those guys. I started working with them. It's Torn Banner. Uh, I started working with them a few years ago. We did another game called Mirage that unfortunately wasn't a big, huge hit. Uh, it's got a lot of the same mechanics uh, as Chivalry. But, oh, my God, the writing for that game was... And, and not to say the writing for Chivalry is not good. The writing for Chivalry is really good. But the writing for that game was just so good. I still use those scripts in workshops because they're just that good. Oh, that's awesome. There's so much depth of character to them and so much story and so much ability for an actor to just unpack stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, the the late Brad Venable... He was. He's also in Chivalry too. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. Uh, that was the other thing that I did as I tweeted that out. One of his soliloquies from Chivalry. Mm. Um, he plays this character called the Dark Prince, and it's God. It's creepy and it's unnerving and it's. He just plays this this character that is almost Joseph Mengele in a way. You know. Oh wow. Everything's just kind of a scientific experiment. You know. Yeah, I'm on the battlefield. Well, you know, I wonder, there are different ways that we could kill this person. 
well, what if we did this? And, you know, it's just such a fantastic, again, the writing really good, but but Brad did such a great job with it. And he was so, for anybody that knew Brad, this is so typical of him. He, he calls me up either the, the morning of or the, day, or the day before, and I don't remember. And he's just all concerned about it. It's like, dude, I just don't know that I'm doing this the right way. And it's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, you, you know, you scored the audition, you know, you just, and, and he was just so concerned with what his character was going to be and if he was going to be portraying it the right way. Right. I don't want to say I talked to him off the ledge. That's not really accurate. But, but he had so much self-doubt about what he was going to do and then shows up at the gig and just like... Fire. <laughs> again, you just kind of <laughs> let him go and like, yeah. Um, more of that. Keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the things that I loved about him was... This whole mix of talent with humility, um, no matter no matter how successful Brad was ever going to be, um, it certainly wasn't going to go to his head. Yeah, he was a very, very sweet person. I, I didn't know him half as well as you, not even a well, quarter as well as you, but I just thought him and Catherine were absolutely adorable and lovely people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard nothing but fantastic stories about how he'd went out of his way to help. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, you know, just everything. He, he's just a wonderful human. Yeah. No, absolutely. He is a wonderful human. Was a wonderful human. The first gig I ever did with him. Oh, no. No, that was not. I was going to say the first gig I ever did with him was Leisure Suit Larry. But that's not true. The first gig I ever did with him was a Sony game called Deadman's Quest which was also a really good game. It actually, I believe it shipped with the move. Uh, maybe it didn't. But he played one of the two main characters, and I'd never worked with him before. And especially looking back now, he's got this big, deep, he's actually got a voice really similar to yours, this big, deep, kind of husky kind of thing going. And you know what Brad's voice, you know, his natural speaking voice was, which was nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. And this was a ton of dialogue. And he just, it's like once he dialed it in, he just kind of stayed there and he did it and it wasn't caricature-ish. Yeah, no, he, he, phenomenal talent. And then I look at Leisure Suit Larry where he's this whole mid-Atlantic foppish kind of tongue-in-cheek narrator to what I just talked about, to Dark Prince, you know, in Chivalry 2, which is... I, again, I say Joseph Mengele. You know, it's it's this. It's not that kind of an accent. It's a it's a it's a, a British accented piece. But he's just got this whole like like, like it's just unsettling, right. and that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. Some people can just embody it perfectly, and you're like, well, there you go. That's that's <laughs> that's why you got cast. <laughs> yeah. Right. And all three of those voices are very different. They don't sit in the same register. They don't sit in the same. You know, I, well, I'll tell you another person that actually is. I say Mengele. It's 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 a it's a very much a Hannibal Lecter kind of character. Mm -hmm. You know, but even Lecter came off as insane, where the Dark Prince doesn't, and it could have gone there, and it would have been totally fine and totally in spec and totally with the writing. Mm -hmm. But it just didn't. You know, I think that was you know kudos to the you know the writer on that Ryan Buckley who also was in all this, those sessions with me, who was the same way. Like, dude, this is no, just that's not what I was thinking, but. Run with that. That's your advice as a, as, a, as a kid, you know. Be brave. Make choices. Have 
fun with characters. That's something that I don't see people do enough. Right. You get to go play this role, whatever this role is. Go play it. Go have fun with it. Just be an actor, you know? I will talk to actors sometimes and we're on the, you know, we're on the phone or even we're in person and they go into this character that is just an on-the-spot creation. And I've now started doing this where it's like, so what do you call that one? Like, what do you mean? What do you call that thing you just did? I, I don't know. I was just doing it. Name it. Name it. Keep it. That's what you should be doing. Name these roles. If you have fun with it and you can do it that easily, there's your macro. You know, now you're not creating a character from scratch. Now you're like, well, it's like this, but it's slightly different. Yeah, cataloging your characters. But really, the, for me, the two biggest macro pieces are take acting lessons and, and, and understand, though, that once you get to a certain minimum stage, and I'm not saying stay there. It's like, oh, I hit the bare minimum. That's all I got to do. Now it's everything else. It's like, no. But what happens is once you get to a certain level of, of acting skill, then... That, in some ways, from my perspective, becomes no more important than all those other things. Do you show up on time? Are you pleasant to be around? Um, when the session's over, do you actually sign your invoice and get the fuck out of the room, or do you hang around and bug people? Are you good at returning phone calls and emails, and do you actually take an interest in other people Yep. and – want to know something about it. It's not what can they do for you. And it's not even necessarily what you can do for them, although that's kind of a better place to be. Are you genuinely interested in other people? Because if you, first of all, if you're not, I don't know how you can be an actor. Because how can you not be interested in other people? That, there's your palette. So be interested in them. You don't have to agree with them. In fact, sometimes the people that you don't agree with at all, rather than getting into an argument with them, listen to them. You can think they're wackadoodle, but there's gold in there. That's not coming from a place that you would normally go. So what if you can figure out what that what their nuggets are and you can make that next name character? You know, call it Billy Joe Wackadoodle. Fine, doesn't matter. But you gotta you can't do that as a caricature. You have to do that as like I, I know I know who this person is, or at least I can I know some of what this person is. Yeah, no, that's excellent advice. I don't know if it's excellent advice or not, but it's what I got. No, I love it. Well, Mr. Ryan, I thank you for your time. It's always a pleasure. Bye, Eric. I, I, I hate it when we part. Thank you, Randy. It's a real pleasure talking to you. <laughs> when will I see you again? I have no idea. It's already killing me. Killing me! Pandemic! God, I hate pandemic. Why couldn't we have pizza? Oh, man. Oh, wait. That sounds really good. I'm going to go get pizza. Oh, yeah, I could do that, too. All right, dude. Be well. Yep, you too. Oh, man, I love that guy. So good talking to him. And so good of him to bring up Brad, Brad Venable. May you rest in peace, Brad. Uh, here's to a great talent and an even better human, Brad Venable. Your light will continue to shine in my life as well as many, many others. To Catherine, you have my sympathies and my love. To Brad, thank you. You were an amazing human being. And I feel like that is something we should all strive to have said of us. So thank you. And you will be missed dearly. Well, there you go. I hope that any of this advice helps you on your VO journey, as well as your journey as a human. Make sure to reach out and let me know if there are any things that you want to know about, as well as questions you might have. 
hit me up on social media. I'm Eric Bra. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>